0: Philim, philin- <laughs> Philanthropic,
1: Philanthropic. 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 Philharmonic. Philharmonic. Is that like the and screwdriver?
2: Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Manow, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter.
0: Hey, and welcome to A.T. Banter. Uh, My name is Rob Deneau, and today I am joined by Steve Barkley. Hello. And Ryan Fleury. Howdy.
2: And another very special guest. Special guest star, Carrie Anton.
3: Woo! Thank you. Good afternoon.
0: Uh, you know, we should, uh, we should join to a little bit of our, of our background with, with Carrie. I, I think
2: we should, yeah.
0: Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> She's kind of, kind of nearing to our hearts.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie was a one-time Aroga employee, uh superstar, who uh, ran off to join the circus. Uh, that circus <laughs> is now known as Athabasca University. And uh, Carrie specializes in uh, universal design that fair to say, Carrie?
3: It's very fair to say, yep. Um, and accessibility, including like web accessibility as well. So
2: uh, so uh, that dovetails awfully well into our show theme for this week, which is uh Design. Design.
0: You know, we got to – it's unlikely we, we plan these things. Almost. One of these days it's going to bite us in the butt because we're going to be talking about something completely different than – what our guest
2: number is. Actually, we should probably mix that up. Carrie, today we're going to talk about uh, v- <laughs> V8.
3: V8? <laughs> like, oh, I should have had a V8. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to talk about V8.
0: Huh? Before we before we dive into to that, though we should uh, we should just mention a few things real quick. Um, we should actually thank uh, throw a shout out to Adam Wilton. Oh, yeah, for last week's podcast.
2: Absolutely, Adam. Adam was a rock star and uh, made us sound almost as if we knew what we were talking about.
0: He he really did, and he was a great guest. He was a, he was a good guy. He Absolutely was.
2: fabulous, and
0: he didn't even drink all our coffee.
2: I don't think he drank any of our coffee. Exactly. Yeah, even better.
0: Absolutely. Uh, also, uh, we had a webinar yesterday uh, on on uh, the importance of Braille literacy, uh, and. The, uh, the great gals from um, Braille Literacy Canada helped us with that. And so I, we'd like to throw a shout-out to Natalie Martiniello and Jen Golden. Uh, it, was a, it was a really, really good webinar. Thanks, and, Natalie. Thanks, yes, nice,
2: yes. I missed it. I'm very sad. How do you
0: <laughs> And uh, anyone else got anything?
2: Yeah, I got, I got a couple of things. I, I've... Uh... Talked to a few people about the uh, podcast uh, since we started doing it, and one question has come up over and over. The the thing that is burned into people's brains is, who's this Rob Beno guy? Who is Rob Munoz? Who is he? God. Who is Rob?
0: <laughs> wow, that is such a existential question. It totally is. Spell
2: that. <laughs> uh, Rob is the guy who can't spell
0: existential. Uh,
2: what do you do at Aroga, Rob? What's what? your purpose? Your to d'etre?
0: God, that's such a loaded question. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm the shadowy figure in the in the background. I'm like the, I'm like the Bond supervillain. Kind of, okay, make, we'll
3: go with that. No,
0: <laughs> Laird? <laughs> <You'll learn. laughs> that's right. Well, I was hoping for an underwater pretty, but all I got was this stupid volcano. No. Oh. <laughs> no, yeah. I uh, Well, I, I, I guess I produce all the marketing materials when I first started at Aurora, I think many many years ago I think they brought me on to actually s- to revamp the website and the catalog yeah, Was it, and, and the catalog as well yeah yeah I know it dumped yeah. into the catalog
3: even I remember that that's
0: right that's right and then by the time I'd finished all that it was time to start the next catalog and then by the time I finished that I think the website needed to be revamped again and it's just, it's just running around it's just in circles. A vicious circle. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, I do a lot of the multimedia work here, and, and uh, these days I'm helping put together this monstrosity. And, uh, I do some do some video editing around here, and just whatever needs to be done. just want I, I do it.
2: Well, seeing as we went into greater detail on you, I think we should also go into greater detail on Carrie too. Sure. Because Carrie's just absolutely. Definitely- <laughs> <laughs> For <friend's> right? <laughs> For example, did you know that uh, Carrie uh, was a uh, fairly high-level Paralympic athlete? I think she was a gold medal athlete, wasn't mm-hmm. she? she? was a gold medal athlete, wasn't yeah. she? Was, was there something along that line? Was there a gold medal in your past, Carrie? Or- <laughs>
3: There was a gold medal in my past. Uh, yeah, I played uh, the sport of goalball on the national team for eight years. And I played the sport uh, for 20 years. And so lots of bumps and bruises. And um, was I retired in 2005 from that sport. And I still coach today. And some of the athletes that I work with are on their way to the national team. So that's a pretty exciting, extreme sport if no one has ever tried it. Uh, it's a three-on-three on, three on a gym floor, and you whip a ball really fast, really hard at each other, trying to score in the goal behind the three of your teammates. So, and everyone's blindfolded, so it's a, it's a very uh, equitable sport in that sense.
2: And the ball's weighted too, is it not?
3: It's about, I think, three kilograms, Yep, and it has bells in it that makes noise, and the floor is taped tactile so that you know where your zone is, where you're supposed to stay, so you don't collide with your teammates. As you maneuver around the playing zone, yeah, it's fantastic. It's there's over a hundred countries that play it in the world, and uh, to get to the Paralympic level, um, it's a lot of work. I mean, there's uh, eight women's teams that get to go and twelve men's teams, um, but we've it's it's a fantastic sport. I mean, I'm as well as assistive technology and accessibility and universal design. I love adapted sports, and I try almost every one that's that's out there. Yeah,
2: awesome.
1: So, how's the arthritis?
3: It hurts. <laughs> yeah, my doctor finally said to me, "You know, you're almost, mm-mm, and you should really just slow down." And I looked at her and laughed. I was like, "Really? You're not supposed to say that out loud?"
0: Okay, so shall we talk about our show theme for today? Sure. Let's dive into some of the some of the stuff we got prepared.
2: Okay, so let's let's first off let's go through this uh, universal design. What is universal design, Rob? Are you asking me? Shouldn't you be asking our guest? Well, you're asking me. I don't want to. I don't want to put her on the spot. Or not. should I put you on the spot? Fred? What is universal design?
3: Sure. Universal design is actually uh, something that's come about. Um it was a movement in the early 60s, and it came about uh, inspired by the civil rights movement. But universal design itself is, is the design of products and environments to be usable by everybody to the greatest extent possible without having adaptations or accommodations or special features put into it. So um, some of the common things that we experience now in, in universal design and physical access would be like curb cuts, right? A lot of us take advantage of those now: cyclists, people pulling carriages, delivery people, um, as well as people in wheelchairs. And, and so that's an example of universal design, where when you see a curb um, and you don't see a curb cut, then it definitely hasn't been made in the past 20 years. Right. Uh, so universal design is that environment that's been changed so that everybody can take advantage of the curb cut.
0: Yeah. So is it? it, it do you find that? like some things just kind of end up as universal design, even though they weren't necessarily initially uh, designed that way. What I mean, one example I can think of is um, the vibrating ring on our cell phones, right? I mean, initially that was uh, designed for deaf users, but it's certainly something that's entered the mainstream in terms of now everybody uses it, and it's just a, it's a common design element.
3: Yeah, exactly. There, You know, most movements, like whether it's civil rights or universal design or accessibility in the digital age as well, uh, there has to be that stage of awareness where people are like, oh, let's make vibrating keychains or let's make vibrating sensors on cell phones or alarm clocks or um, – you know, in, in, in captions, right? How many people are in a in a bar and they are reading the captions because the TV's volume is turned off, right? Um, everyone can take advantage of a lot of things, but there is an, an original awareness phase that is needed where people need to understand that it, it is a challenge specifically for people that have disabilities. But if we fix that environment, everyone's going to
0: benefit. Well,
3: no. I was cu- curious, like when you guys mentioned um, – when we wanted to talk about the convention of human rights and the convention on rights for persons with disabilities. And if the universal design movement happened in the sixties and the legislation came about in the seventies and eighties, I mean, in just now in 2008, we're starting to get things passed at the United nations to say people with disabilities have a right to, you know, proper spaces, education, information, technology, just like, um, everyone else does, um, that's, there's a huge gap there when it comes to equity. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that I was surprised most about doing some of the research for today's show was that, and, and you know, I, I, we know, well, I know somebody specifically who has gone to New York, to the UN, to, uh, actually speak at the, uh, at the, uh, session for the, the rights of persons with disabilities. And, um, I was shocked in doing the research that really, I mean, this thing's only been in existence for ten years. Like, it it only came about um, in 2006, which is it's a bit shocking when you think about it.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's taken that long for people to in various countries so we're talking not just developing countries but to realize that there is there are barriers right there's more poverty with people with disabilities there's more inequity as far as living conditions and um education and employment and you know, so many things that that maybe we in north america understand fairly well but in other places they're just starting to realize that oh this is a problem right
0: yeah, absolutely. We should we should maybe back up a little bit and just, um, because you know, people who are sort of tuning in, they're not necessarily going to know what we're talking about. But um, this week in in New York at the UN is um, the ninth session of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, um, and it's basically a, a convention that was adopted by the General Assembly in two thousand and six, and it's, uh, it's intended as a human rights instrument with an explicit social development dimension and adopts a broad categorization of persons with disabilities and reaffirms that all persons with all types of disabilities must enjoy all human rights and fundamental freedoms. So, you mean, like, like a lot of, like, you know, any of the UN human rights charters, um, this one is specifically geared towards people with disabilities and specifically... Their mandate is to basically, you know, eliminate poverty and inequality uh, for people with disabilities all over the world. And it's this is it's a it's a new idea.
2: It, it always alarms me how many different ways we have to say, "Hey, don't be a jerk to people."
3: Like even even in April, six people, um, al- six Albi- people who have albinism, are have disappeared and are most likely murdered or maimed. You know, oh,
2: crazy. The, the stuff yeah. that moves on. In, is this in Africa?
3: That's in Malawi. Malawi. Yeah. So there's still, um, people are still having, uh, the, the right to live, uh, is being questioned in their countries. Um, you know, they're not even worried about internet access or anything like that. Right. They just want to live. Um, and even their family members, or cousins or friends are also being persecuted as well. So the rights of people with disabilities is, is huge mm-hmm. and ensuring that they're equitable and that, that they're recognized.
2: Yeah, there, there's some really terrifying stories uh, told by, by people with albinism uh, from Africa. Because in, uh, in Africa, uh, you may not be aware of, uh, witch doctors, Uh, Believe that uh, body parts of albinos are um, magical and uh, can be used in all sorts of uh, folk remedies and uh, uh, tonics. So, uh, people with albinism are subject to kidnapping, um, having parts of their body chopped off. Um, You know, somebody might randomly show up at their house, chop off an arm, and run away with it. Uh, might not necessarily kill them outright, but oftentimes they are uh, kidnapped and killed um, by these uh, by these witch doctors, and there seems to be very little um, that the law can do about it or is willing to do about it. Um, there is a uh, an excellent charity called Under the Same Sun um, that devotes itself to uh, uh, bringing about better awareness of uh, of albinism and trying to uh, fight against these prevailing forces that. Uh, are, um, persecuting them. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, definitely a charity you might want to look up. Uh, they do some great work. Um, but, uh, yeah, being, being, uh, uh a person with albinism in uh, Africa is uh, a very, very frightening place to be.
3: You know, and also some countries in South America as well. Um, they're, they're finding – there's an island where people who have albinism are sort of exiled to um, places like – I don't want to mention any country names because it's also not all of Africa. You know, there's really some countries in Africa like Maui that are really um, prevalent in, in these activities like against al- people with have albinism. But, um, <laughs> it, yeah, it, also South America as well. So they are fine. Yeah. Yeah. Craziness.
0: It, it is, and I mean, it really does, you know, it, it really makes you think that we have it really good over here and you don't think of these issues in a third-world country. I notice that there's a lot of um, blindness products coming out of India, especially these days.
2: I think that's probably partly driven just because there's a huge population there um, uh, that is, has been underserviced and they do have a, a, a growing middle class now. Um So they're they're starting to uh, economically have more heft, and uh, they're starting to recognize uh, the needs to uh, address uh, or need to address the needs of people with disabilities.
3: And, and there's also increasing movements there for universal design as well, because they do have a lot of barriers uh, that are imposed by poor poorly designed spaces, um, inflexible. Um, design of you know um, information or buildings or workstations um, and the increasing demographic that we 're living longer now um, all across the board, um, I saw a graphic once that said that uh, you know there 's almost fifty one percent of the population either has a disability or knows someone that has a disability or somehow influenced or impacted by someone with a disability it 's like fifty one percent of the the world 's population. So that market is actually becoming a greater, uh, having a greater influence in 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 the economy.
2: Right, and at the same time, in the Western world, we're uh, we're experiencing the uh, the aging of our baby boomer population, which is a a massive section of the population. And uh, as they get older, uh, incidents of disability increase, and uh, you know they, they expect their needs to be met as well.
0: Well, if you think about it from the, in the terms of who is able-bodied and who is able-bodied 100% of the time, it, it, virtually nobody. Everybody at some point in their life has not been able-bodied, whether they've broken an arm, broken a leg. Um, Thrown their back out. Thrown their back out. You know, is a toddler or, you know, is an 80-year-old. I mean, everybody goes through a point where they're not necessarily fully able-bodied. So universal design is going to benefit absolutely everybody and not just one small niche of the population.
3: Yes, for sure. Well, there's seven principles, and you can sort of tell just by the description of the various principles of universal design how it could help. So they talk about, like, equitable use, um, flexibility in use, um, as well as simple and intuitive use, um, and, and perceivable. The information is perceivable, so it's somehow people can understand it via all five senses or one of the five senses at least. Um, Tolerance for error, so that's giving people assistance when they make, you know, have an error or cannot get into a building or um, there's some kind of a web error that comes up. And as well as um, low physical effort or the least effort required to get from point A to point B, whether it's a space or whether it's a digital place. And the other one is um, size and space of approach and use. So we're always talking about converting and designing um, something so that anyone can use it and everyone can use it and thinking outside the box.
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, another another panel that I was reading about uh, recently was – a panel that was called rethinking ability and it was it took place last month at the international women 's forum and they were discussing you know the policy in u s in the u s and Israel and China talking about uh, basically universal design and how it really it 's an attitude that needs to change at a certain level where companies need to realize that if they If universal design is sort of plugged into a more profit-focused model and they start developing um, just sort of baking in universal design into products and selling them into the mainstream instead of having AT be something, a completely different arm.
2: A plug-in of some kind.
1: Yeah, AT has always been a bolt-on and been an afterthought. Right. But big business wants to see the profit profitability of doing something like that, even though it probably wouldn't take a lot of money. Samsung has included TTS in some TVs. There's talking microwaves, there's talking washers and dryers. You know, companies have tried it, but because I guess the public just doesn't either know about it or gravitate to it, they discontinue the product. And I think that that needs to change.
0: Well, luckily, you know, we got some some big boys on our side. You know, certainly you can point to Apple, and and I guess Microsoft to some degree, and Google, and Google mm-hmm. of course. Sorry, Google, didn't mean to leave you out. Um, yeah, I mean, their accessibility stuff that that they've baked into the smartphones um, has really revolutionized things.
3: Yeah, and there is those things that do like, you know, are we use them every day? Like um, big grip. Uh, measuring spoons or handles for peel, peeling potatoes or scissors or even something that as simple as left-handed products, right? Um, in the 50s and 60s, you, if you were left-handed, you usually got a smack on your left hand and you had to start using your right hand and learn how to use it, right? Up until like the past um few presidents of the United States, they're all left-handed, right? So then things start, people start to see that it's okay to be left-handed and you're not going to get smacked over the wrist.
2: It's not okay.
3: (laughs) I'm right-handed. So I'm kind of,
2: (laughs) but
3: still it's okay to be left-handed. So yeah, you're you're right. And there are even, um, you know, washing machines like Kenmore and um, LG that actually do, that are on the regular market and the universal design principles are built right into them with big big yellow lights or easy control knobs. We don't even think of that as universal design, right? But that totally helps people with low vision or people who just aren't seeing so good or people who need to grasp a knob or push a button.
0: So Carrie, would you say things are getting better in terms of universal design?
3: Definitely I think they are um, from the reasons that we've already mentioned about some of the technology that's including accessibility features into them um, and some of the low tech or no tech that already has been designed with universal design in mind. Um, definitely it's getting better. Um, and also with legislation, of course, in Australia, in the, the UK, in America, there's the um, – hmm. What's it called, guys? You know, the communication and blah, 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 one where you cannot develop a product without having thought of accessibility beforehand. Developers have to be putting accessibility in things. So we can't give all the credit to <laughs> to these guys for coming up on their own. They've actually been mandated to do it um, if they want their product to hit the hit the mainstream shelves, right?
2: But who regulates that?
3: Um, like our CRTC, but it's their whoever's in the U.S., whatever oh. that
2: There's a bunch of, uh, you know, just going through some of the stuff I've Googled here, there's a bunch of different acts that have been signed. There's one called the uh, Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, which was uh, put into law. Uh, It says here it's placing significant new responsibilities on several cabinet level agencies that have the responsibility for increasing the employment of individuals with disabilities, particularly the Department of Labor and the Department of Education. And it's designed to advance employment opportunities for individuals with disabilities. So, good for you, America.
3: Yeah, so Canada's got a long ways to go,
2: but more and more. We- I'm hopeful, though, you know, the, the, the fact that um, we have a minister who, who has uh, a visual impairment uh, in charge of or who's been uh, tasked with um, drafting a uh, Canadians with Disabilities Act, I think is a very positive step forward. And I, I hope that uh, the government follows through on this and uh, gets it done within their first, uh, their first term in office here.
0: Is the goal of universal design to sort of basically eliminate assistive technology in terms of as a separate arm that exists? Yeah.
2: Carrie, are you trying to put us out of business?
3: That <laughs> no, definitely not. This is one of the, the myths of universal design is that it, you know, there's never going to need to be accommodations. There's never going to need to be disability services. There's not going to need to be assistive technology when really there is, because there are those instances of disability where the, for lack of a better word, intervention is required. And that intervention could be the assistive technology. It could be the accommodation um, of a space, right? Um, a work workspace or a workstation or the technology that's involved. So there's, n- there's never going to be a lack of need for assistive technology. Um, and in fact, you'll find more and more people will be using things that we put into place um, as assistive technology. And, and the product category will be broadened. To encompass more people and more features, that will be more generally used. So it could actually, em, you know, embrace the world, and the world could embrace assistive technology. Don't worry, guys; they are still going to have a job. Me too. All
2: right, <laughs> that, that sounds good to me. Carrie said so. Yeah. <laughs> and we're starting to see this this universal design and and accessibility creep. Necessarily expect it to. Uh, for example. Um, video game Uncharted 4 came out last month and uh, the uh, developer of that game uh, Naughty Dog uh, released a video that talked about the accessibility features that they'd built into the game and, and some of the story behind it
0: yeah it's a, it's actually it's a good game have you ever have you played any of the uncharted games
2: I have watched my son play uh uncharted on the console I can't actually play console games uh-huh. i am a, a pc gamer I'm used to gaming on a keyboard and as soon as somebody hands me one of those controllers um, i um i I believe that what, what's the term my son used i think it was oh gee you suck dad <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well yeah it's a it's a it's a pretty action-packed game it, it, like watching because I, I played a little bit of it and, and i suck at it too but um it's actually pretty amazing um to watch this video and, and we'll we'll post a link to this video in the show notes because um, it's it's actually really interesting to watch um it, it's actually pretty amazing that what people can can play through um, with just um, altered controls, slightly altered controls.
2: Um, there's also a, a group I should mention uh, called Able Gamers. Um, they're an organization that, uh, that does specific adaptations for people to allow them to participate in, uh, in gaming. Um, and that's uh, another very, very cool cause. And they've done some really neat different uh, adaptations for people to, uh, to get them involved in, in games and, you know, having a, a an outlet, uh, a recreational outlet through video games.
0: But it, but it is true. I mean, uh, you know, Naughty Dog's a triple A game studio. It's you know, so again, you know, they're leading the pack in terms of um, cooking in um these accessibility features and you know, when, when the big dogs do things like that, all the little
2: dogs follow suit. Let's hope it's a trend that carries forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even things like in terms of the consoles themselves, I know that for years um, people have been customizing their own like Xbox 360, Xbox one, PS4 controllers to make them, more accessible for their, their kids. And really, you watch some of the videos on YouTube, they're not that hard to do. And so it just makes you wonder that even the, the console manufacturers, there's, there's some universal design that they could do on the hardware end to make video games more accessible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's not just, just software and just, and just games. But I mean, something, you know, something like video games that we all take for granted. I mean, I think it's a a very good sign that we see universal design creeping into that as well. Um, And really what it comes down to is that, you know, and video game makers are very aware of this, is that demographics, um, if they make their games accessible, that's that many more people that are going to buy them.
2: Now, Ryan, you you've had uh, some experience with uh, video games designed for uh, people with blindness and visual impairments as well, haven't you? Mm-hmm. somewhat, yeah,
1: yeah. There's there's quite a number of games. Um, I've sent Rob a link that maybe he can share in the sh- show notes as well. But a lot of them are side scrollers, um, you know, kind of single player games, except for the card games. There's a lot of card games where you can play against other people, um, but you know, there's some action pack games out there. There's been some really good quality games um, that aren't available anymore, I don't believe. But there was one called uh, GMA Tank Commander, which had realistic audio sounds. Another one called... Um, kind of loosely based on the Harry Potter uh, series, but... Um,
0: Harry Potter?
1: Yeah. But again, GMA games. Um, a lot of them are really well done. Um, but... Uh, I've just found myself not much of a game player at all. Even when I had sight, you know, I didn't really play a lot of video games. So I was too busy being outside doing stuff. So
0: You were a jock.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think got beat up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now you just collect guitar after guitar after guitar. That's right. That's right. I have a hobby. Should we move on to uh, uh, this note about the founder of PowerMAT wants to kill the keyboard?
0: Yeah, I thought this was just interesting. I don't, I don't know how much this plays in the universal design, but I just thought it was funny that this guy has gone from the power mat to this. I don't even know how to describe it. Did you, did you watch this video?
2: I, I did, yeah. Um, first off, we should probably say the, the, the company that, that's uh, making this, uh, the, the product called uh, Tap Systems, but previously they uh, designed the uh, power mat, which is a wireless charging system for uh, things like cell phones. Um, I, which uh, I think is used uh, by a lot of different companies. I know I've got it in my uh, my Nexus 6 phone. I know Samsung has it in a lot of their phones. A lot of different phones have have now adopted this this wireless uh, charging system. But uh, but now what they what they've done is they've they've got a uh, a foam strap that that uh, slips onto your hand, and uh, it looks like brass knuckles, uh, only it's foamy. And it, uh, it'll translate 31 finger taps into letters and numbers. And these are transmitted by Bluetooth to mobile devices uh, such as phones and tablets, uh, supposedly with an accuracy level of 99%. Um, and it's a, uh, an alternative to uh, a keyboard or uh, voice recognition. Um, and uh, the video shows people typing very, very quickly. Uh, it does. the system. But uh, to be quite honest, I I don't think it'll ever take off.
0: That's yeah. That's that was my takeaway too. I was just like, who's gonna who's gonna use this? I mean, can you you essentially have to learn to type again. In the video, I mean, it does claim that you know it takes ten minutes to learn the system. Supposedly, it's, it's supposedly very intuitive, but I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's the sort of thing you'd really kind of want to try out and see if, you know, if a, if a duffer like me can figure it out and, and, and use it consistently. But I, I think back to um, things like uh, the Dvorak keyboard, you know, the, the QWERTY keyboard, uh, which is ubiquitous on, on virtually every electronic device these days. Um, it, it, it was designed for uh, mechanical machines um, with the aim in mind of, of slowing down input so that you wouldn't jam up the mechanical machine. Um, so Dvorak comes along and says, well, I'm going to redesign the keyboard and I'm going to make it so it can be as efficient as possible and redesigned the keyboard. And adoption was pretty much nil. There were very, very few people who, who picked up the Dvorak keyboard and, and ran with it. I, I, I think in my entire life, I've only met one person who, who used a Dvorak keyboard. Yeah. Um, now, mind you, he, he could type like the wind, but um, you know, it was it was definitely a good uh, good design. But uh, you know, I, I I would expect this this tap system to uh, probably go down the same the same road. I think people are just very much used to the QWERTY keyboard.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's interesting about the article too is that he does mention uh, the blind and the visually impaired, and how it has a lot of um, potential. In that market, I don't know. Do you see that?
2: Um, it's entirely possible. I think uh, people who are blind and visually impaired, um, you know, in, input methods um, currently are either QWERTY keyboard, uh, voice recognition, or uh, potentially a Braille keyboard. Um, if they can gain a major efficiency through something that you know um, that they can learn quickly, I, I think there's there's an excellent chance they might, you know. Give it a go. Well,
1: I think they said too with this um, PowerMax or this keyboard, it virtually well it turns any surface into a keyboard, right? So right. you can be on your kitchen counter, you could be on the couch.
0: You tap on your you leg,
1: up on your leg.
3: Yeah.
1: You don't have to go looking for your keyboard. Right?
3: Well, and that's what I think is really neat for people who have physical challenges, right? Um, or stroke, or, um, you know, they're able to, they just have a hand movement, right? So they would be able to just tap anywhere. Um, so I think it has, it could have more applicable uses for people who have motor impairments, yeah.
0: So this is a perfect example of something that is being developed for the mainstream, but have, could, you know, it has has all this AT stuff baked right in.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, maybe we should get one of these and start playing with it. Uh, You should. I'm still in for an Orbit Braille.
3: Pick me. Pick me.
0: (laughs) Give me a mat while you're at it.
2: Uh, I've got one on my desk. Do you you ever use it? I use it all the time. Is is that right? How how does it work for you? Fine. It it doesn't charge my phone as quickly as if I um, am plugged directly into uh, a wall plug. Um, But, uh, you know, I... Come into the office. I put my phone down on it and it charges my phone all day. And when I leave the office, it's not
0: uh, drained. I got it. Maybe I'll try one. I don't know. I've been I've been leery about them because they just it's it's too. It's like magic. It's I don't know. It's too I'll scary. Just plug my phone in. Just as easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <wow>. yeah. <laughs> just me. Yeah.
3: just saying. Yeah. Give me the plug-in.
1: You're plugging in your power matter. You're plugging in your phone. You're still plugging something in.
2: You're a geezer.
3: <laughs> we just like accuracy. That's all. Great. Efficiency.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this next one, which is the Perkins School for the Blind um, getting into
2: apps and driverless cars.
3: Pick me again. Pick me. You
2: want that driverless car, don't you? I do. Yeah. I'm going to start a I'm going to do Twitter
3: all over the place. Drive carry around.
1: I waited 45 minutes for a cab last Friday. I'm in a driverless car. Yep.
0: I could be out That We could could all carpool together. Yep.
3: What if I don't want to give you a ride? (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm in Edmonton. It's a long way to go. It's driverless. You just go to sleep and you wake up in Vancouver.
3: (laughs) It's true. You hope. Yeah, loss of
1: signal. Yep. I was just going to say, you hope that your Google car is talking to the Toyota car, which is talking to the Ford car, and that there's no accidents along the
0: way.
3: So, every time you have no cell signal, that really worries me for that car, especially when you go over like Rogers Pass,
0: you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, yeah. what you really have to worry about is Windows 10 deciding it's going to update in the middle of a freeway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rob. <laughs> hey, trust me, That's <laughs> Windows 10 has done that to me three times so far. <laughs> something that's just sunny. you know what you need to update right now so happen to one of my clients on Tuesday should we go on let should we do you want a little bit of a Windows 10 rant for a minute yeah you know I haven't upgraded so I'm my ears are open oh you're don't worry you're on
2: their list
3: yeah they're gonna just make me do it Windows,
2: Windows 10 I think is an excellent example of universal design because uh, there's things that uh, people universally hate about it uh, and i drank you know
0: initially i was drinking the the windows 10 kool-aid i was i was like i will give them the benefit of the doubt They they know better not anymore no i'm this is ridiculous at how they force these updates down your down our throats and i'm not just talking about like the windows 10 update itself i'm talking about the way that the new windows 10 actually does updates. I mean Well they ridiculous. actually put
1: Windows ten as a recommended update. So at some point in time your computer restarts and next thing you know you're running Windows ten.
0: Yeah well has done the
1: update in the background.
0: Well and that's a huge problem, especially for our clients, right? The ones that are running software that is specifically tailored to only run on earlier versions of Windows. Um they get a Windows update fed to them, and now they have a useful piece of software that they have to, have to.
2: Yeah. Not necessarily, though, you can roll back to the previous version of Windows. Yes, yeah, so you have 30 days to roll back. Yeah, Yeah. but then you've got to figure out how to do yeah, it. it. <laughs> well, once the
1: Windows 10 is installed, our remote access doesn't work it's straight in the middle of the install. So if you to accept the user
3: agreement, I
2: well, ran into that on Tuesday. Sure. Yeah. So until you pretty much have to have some sort of sighted assistance to get past that? She was able to tab to the
1: cancel button to decline user agreement, and then it restored itself back to her Windows 7, and then our remote access point. But until that point, I had to try and get her to walk through tabbing and getting around to that decline button. And so you probably could have done it with narrator, but you still got to walk somebody through clicking that button. Right. Well, and like Rob was saying, you know, we have clients who may be running earlier versions of a screen reader that they haven't updated to support the current version of the OSs. And if that's the case, you know, if we can't get them rolled back, then, you know, either A, the computer's going to have to come in and have us do it, um, or they will have to. You know, get somebody cited in to help them with that. We were talking about Perkins School and oh,
0: yeah, right, apps
2: absolutely. and driverless cars, and then
3: yeah, yeah. now we're on Microsoft.
0: Yeah, uh, well, welcome to the podcast. Yes, so, <laughs> so, it's your audio nightmare, my friend.
2: <laughs> well, the Perkins, Perkins School, which uh, you know is is uh, a, a very well known school for for the blind and the deaf blind. Uh, they have an advisory board made up of app designers, venture capitalists, and financial services uh, professionals, also innovation consultants, uh, and they meet quarterly to explore things like uh, well, different technologies, such as um, uh, beacon technology, for an example, uh, to help people navigate around on, on indoor spaces. Uh, outside, you can use GPS to navigate from place to place, but as soon as you get inside a building, of course, your GPS kicks out because you can't see the satellites anymore, and uh, when you're in the building, uh, there's not a lot of good um, good uh, pointers to tell you where to go. Geekin so technology is uh, something that is uh, being developed more and more, and uh, Perkins is, is looking at this technology. Um, they're also looking at things like uh, robots that could serve as personal aids for blind people, and uh, of course, uh, autonomous vehicles. Um, and they're actually in talks with a uh, technology company that uh, is developing driverless cars, and they want to use the Perkins, Perkins campus for testing.
0: Okay, first of all, robots for blind people awesome. Awesome.
2: awesome. Bring think, them on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's just really cool.
3: Yeah, I have a Zumba who vacuums my floor.
0: Cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: they need to Does start get stuck working in the on corner? these robots. Yeah.
3: No, she boom, uh, I don't know if it's a she, but it booms around and booms into the floor. doesn't even go down the stairs. It kind of goes, oh, uh, oh, uh, stop, stop, and then backs up. It's very cool. So if that's where we're going, I mean, I don't need to talk to my robot that does my floors, but um, I think robots are a really cool way to go. And Toyota has done some really neat things with um, robots in the healthcare system and, and helping people and being that personal aid that you said and that company, that companion.
0: Well, as much as we joke about it, I mean, I, there, I did sort of put on the short list an article about that very thing about uh, whether or not robots could be um, assistive technology aids in the coming years. So it's definitely something that people are thinking about it and, and actively working on.
2: Yeah, I think there's all kinds of possibilities for robotics uh, when it comes to uh, people with disabilities. Um, you know, there's... Um, you look at, um, you know, different adaptations that, that people do, um, you know, I think of, uh, you know, one, one example is a friend of mine who's in a wheelchair um, and he can't reach the ground. So if he drops something, um, he's got to go searching for something to pick it up with, uh, some kind of grasp or something, either that or it just stays on the floor. Um, if he had a robot, he might be able to have that robot pick it up and hand it to him. That'd be pretty darn handy for him.
0: Oh, this beacon technology, um, is this what they're talking about, though, when they're talking about the last 50 feet problem?
2: Well, I think, yeah, they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, you're getting into the building and then you've got to travel 50 feet, but which 50 feet in what direction? That, that kind of problem.
0: So do you know anything about this beacon technology? Like, what, what exactly? how does it work if it's not? Well,
2: there's there's been a lot of work over the years on beacon technology. I remember way you know probably the first time I got involved with it was a system called the Marco that um, Telesensory Systems developed way back in the 90s. Um, it was a um, it was an infrared technology. You had a an infrared receiver, and then you had a beacon that was up on the wall somewhere. And what was cool about it was because it was infrared, it was directional. So if you uh, the, the, the infrared is picking up an audio stream. So you're, um, you've got your little beacon up on the wall, you point your receiver at it, and it's going to play the audio that's being transmitted from that beacon. Um, and the further away from it, you point the fainter that, uh, sound got, and the more directly at it, you pointed, um, the, the more clear the sound got. So it was very good for homing in on the source of, of that beacon. Now that beacon could convey all kinds of information to you. Uh, it could, if it was over a store, for example, it could tell you what the store was, what they sold, you know, maybe what the specials are. Um, if it was in a building, it could tell you, you know, potentially what a room number was, maybe what the layout of the room is. Um, you know, if it's a washroom or male or female washroom, um, to my mind it had a lot of potential, but, um, it never really got adopted. And, uh, when telesensory was eventually sold, it just sort of died on the vine. Um, now there's a lot of work being done with, uh, beacons, um, from, uh, from Apple, which, um, use, uh, I believe, I believe it's Bluetooth technology. I'm pretty sure it's Bluetooth technology, um, to, uh, to transmit, um, the downside that I could see of that technology is that uh, it wouldn't be directional um, you, you would have uh, information as you were close to a beacon, but uh, you wouldn't necessarily be able to locate the beacon i don't believe now I, I haven't spent a lot of time with it, so I could be wrong there
1: well, I think too that you know Bluetooth is limited by range as well, and i don't think apples will know I'm working on the beacon technology so. Is a mall going to sell on one type of beacon or are we gonna have multiple apps on our phones that are communicating with the i beacons and the Google beacons and whatever other beacons are out there? It could get really confusing and quite noisy.
3: Yeah, there's lots of um, different companies out there that are selling their beacon, like I was at CSUN last year and there was a few a few companies out there that are trying to sell their products to various places. So that could be it. Is that where we're going to have to use a certain app so that a certain company's um, products are going to be seen, which would be quite noisy.
2: Yeah, and, and pretty counterproductive too, right? I mean, how how do you know moving from one space to another which app you need to have open to to receive the information, or even that there is a beacon there um, that you can get information from? Um, there there's there there really should be a standard. Um, for beacon technology. And, um, it should be a standard, I believe that, um, also factors in, uh, directionality. Um, you know, I think, a, a beacon, that's just broadcasting in a, in a big circle, um, that, that doesn't give you directional information is less useful than, than one that does give you directional information. Um, an example I would give would be, um, you know, um, oftentimes when they put audible, uh, audible uh, crossing uh, what are they called uh, pedestrian signals, pedestrian signals, signals. Yeah, yeah. So audible pedestrian signals you know here in here in Vancouver a lot of ours chirp so you you press a button and uh when the uh, walk sign comes on it starts chirping at you um people complain about those because you know in the middle of the night their nearest crosswalk is chirping away and keeping them up at night um, so they've been forced after certain hours to have these things disabled. So now you've got an audible crossing signal that's disabled and whoever needs that thing at night doesn't have it. So if you had a beacon technology instead, that was directional, you would be able to home in on the, the thing. There would be no audio that would play other than to the uh, person who needed it. Um, and because it was more than just a chirp. You would be able to say things like um, a description of the crossing. So you could say, OK, this crossing is approximately 100 uh, feet wide. Uh, there's an island in the middle. Um, and uh, you have x number of seconds to cross.
3: Yeah, that would be great.
2: All right, well, I'll just get on that then. <laughs>
3: Wouldn't mind, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, I mean, they're already doing it with advertising, right? If you have a certain program or a certain app running, like, they're just beaming out to you like, come, there's this special is available at this store. And then the person who's blind is like, where's that? Like, which store? So that that's where there probably could be need for an app that actually gives you more feedback, yeah.
0: So well, the other thing I found interesting on this uh, article was that Perkins won a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar grant in Google's uh, charitable arm earlier this year to develop uh, a mobile app that will use crowdsourced information to help guide blind people to specific spots. So that's kind of interesting to me that they're they're going with crowdsourcing.
2: Yeah, that can be good or bad. I guess there's the uh, the Wikipedia example up there, right? You know that. People and anybody can go and edit a Wikipedia entry, but uh, somebody has to moderate it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I suppose right because otherwise, some, you're going to get somebody who's going to be like, "Yeah, St. Andrew's Church. Yeah, here you go." And then uh, you end up at mugs and jugs or something. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> There's that it's done to this oh, one. Okay. No, <laughs> I think that one should stay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: It's a real place. <laughs> really, yeah, even if it wasn't, I want to go. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I sell root beer. They had really good lunch specials there.
3: <laughs> Just speaking of root beer, had a really gross root beer beer the other day.
2: Oh, uh, really? Beer beer?
3: Yeah, root. yeah. Well, you know how I like beer and I like flavored beers, and so anyway, root beer beer. It's um, called Muddy Boots or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like Dad's root beer with a kick. Yeah. Yeah. No. Don't do
2: it. Not so good, huh?
3: No, not so good. No. (laughs) I just had to share.
2: (laughs) Let that be a warning to you all. Don't drink root beer beer. Or flavored beer at all. No, apple beer is supposed to be good. No. Just say no to flavored beer.
3: (laughs) Well the one time I had Guinness with grape grapefruit juice of Guinness in it. That was pretty good.
2: Actually that sounds really good. That's sacrilege.
3: Yeah, but it looks cool. Like it's all like green and slimy, like a vodka slime. And then it's got a Guinness sitting in the middle because it just stays on top.
2: Steve, have you ever had yeah. car bomb? An Irish car bomb? Yeah. You betcha. Yeah, good. yeah. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. What's that? Irish car bomb. That's uh, Irish whiskey dropped into a Guinness.
3: Yeah, we did that in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know that's what it was called. I felt it the next day.
0: <laughs> I would imagine you felt it like five minutes later. Uh, all right. Well, so what, what do we want to? Uh, anything we want to say to wrap up about universal design in general, Carrie? Did you have anything, any other thoughts about? Uh, about no,
3: I think I've repeated myself over and over quite enough. Yeah, yes,
0: I'm
3: good. I'm good.
0: Well, how do you, like, I don't know, pretty <laughs> optimistic at this point? You know, do you feel like we're, we're closer now than we've ever been before? To-
3: Most definitely, I think that we're closer to, to achieving universal design, but probably very much so still in the awareness stages. And so I would expect that in the next 20 years, we're going to see a lot more universal design in the digital area, as well as like in spaces and uh, communications, yeah
0: where do you where do you see really where do you see it needing to change like what what kind of things need to change to really drive it forward
3: um, I think that what needs to change is the consciousness of the general population that needs to change and understand um, We're still very much in a medical model of of life you know what's your disability what's your problem rather than um, what where are you impacted? Um, oh, you have trouble reading? Wow, so do I, right? That kind of mentality, it's a shift, right? Um, Into thinking about what the area is that's impacted rather than, oh, what's the disability and the symptom? So we're very much having to change into a social model of thinking about disability and what we design.
1: So do you have any ways or thoughts on how uh, we can advocate for more universal design.
3: A big stick. A
1: big yeah. stick.
3: <laughs> <laughs> De- definitely. Universal design is going to come about via legislation. That's what's happened in those countries that have you know been really successful in implementing universal design for spaces and places. Um, it's been through legislation, right And in Canada, we do things right now primarily via litigation. And that's what I mean by also a big stick is that uh, the fear of making things accessible and usable by everyone seems to be a motivator because people don't want to put out hundreds of thousands of dollars in a settlement or in the after design uh, retrofit, um, which is more expensive than doing it designing in the first place. And so we still haven't had enough cases, I think, legally to have Canada move towards legislation um, that is more serious, like in Americans with Disabilities Act, yeah. Um, some provinces have had more success with that, like the Ontarians with Disabilities Act, the AODA, um, in you know, mandating what needs to be done in the digital age and communication and customer service. Um, But that's that's very unique. So that's why I think we're still quite a few years away from the rest of Canada getting on board with that. We're still in the process of awareness and letting people know how an environment is designed poorly.
1: Even something with the ODA Act, though, like is there teeth behind that
3: act? In (laughs) Ontario, there's teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's my concern. You know, we launched a Canadians with Disabilities Act, and you know, what does that really mean? Does that mean that now we have more audible traffic lights? Does that mean what does that en- encompass? And who's going to enforce that?
2: I was I was talking to a uh, a blind lawyer um, a couple of years back. Um, and uh, we were talking about the um, Americans with Disabilities Act, and I was saying how you know it was really cool that they had this this act out there that that had some teeth to it that that people could really use to to uh, force um, people into making spaces more accessible. And he said something which I thought was kind of interesting. He said that Canada actually has human rights legislation that has more teeth to it than the ADA does. Um, it's just that most people are either unaware of how it can work or they are um, unwilling to uh, use it as a as a tool to uh, um, have their grievances met.
3: yeah, I think that's probably true because it takes so long for that process to take effect so um and you have to prove due hardship right to either the the individual or the organization that's wronging a person right so it does it's a long process and it's quite arduous and there's there's three different pieces of that what is a due hardship i just can't remember what they are right now but i i can say that we still are very much driven by those litigations which is unfortunate because legislation won't come about until enough people have been sued in my mind right because how else do you have a consciousness shift, right? Look at the environmentalists and the movement that they've been trying to do for years and years and years, right? The, the consciousness of that is probably only for folks in British Columbia and some pieces of, of Ontario, <laughs> right? The real serious environmentalists, except for terrorists. They live in Alberta, yeah.
2: <laughs> Litigiousness.
0: Yes. I think what Carrie was saying is that people got to sue.
3: Or change your mind. I I saw a neat graphic that said, you know, on one end was the cost and and the other end was your mind. And cost is high when you're you're just the beginning stages, um, at the design stages, basically. But then the cost goes up as um, time goes on because you're not willing to change your mind because it costs too much to change your mind. So the question is, at what point are you going to change your mind about universal design? Does that make any sense at all?
2: It really does. Mm-hmm.
3: You get the graphic. You missed my swooping motion, my arms.
2: This is a audio only podcast.
0: For now. We you, you want to talk to you about our
2: budget. <laughs> um, we, we we have faces built for radio.
1: That, well, that is true. Wow,
2: I'm feeling some undue hardship.
0: That is true.
2: Well, that that comes back to the cost of accommodation right? <laughs> to fix your mug. Cool. Been there, done that.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the second time around. A Six million dollar man. We can rebuild him, make him better looking than he was before.
0: All right. Is so anyone else anyone else coming in? Should we shut this, shut the lady down for the night?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess we can. It's uh, five o'clock in Alberta, so uh, we probably, Harry, like to, Carrie would probably like to go home and.
3: Have a- no, I have a six thirty, so I'm good. Oh. I, guess I shouldn't go. I shouldn't go have a beer and then go to my six thirty. Yeah, it's a busy week, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, we'd uh, of course love to thank Carrie for joining us today. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks, Carrie.
3: Thanks for having me guys. It's been fun.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure we'll have you on again.
3: Can we talk about cars again?
2: No, I think we'll talk about sports. Yeah. I was thinking we could get you and maybe, uh, Mike Lonergan from, uh, BC blind sports out here. Mike would probably come out and hang out with us.
0: Probably. What will we talk about? Uh, how about, uh, sports? Hey,
3: Rio de Janeiro Paralympic games are coming up in September.
0: Oh yeah, Absolutely. Uh, are we going to do a podcast about comic book movies then after that? No. Well, are, well Daredevil. We can talk about Daredevil. Sure. <laughs> one Sports. We have to have equal footing on the other side, right? But how many
1: disabled superheroes are there? Uh, one.
0: Couple. Daredevil. Yeah,
2: Daredevil. Daredevil. Thank
1: Thank you. Yeah, I said that. That's one. Um.
0: Well,.
2: There's more. There's more. I'm just drawing a blank. There are more. <laughs> Hang on. I mean, it depends <laughs> on
0: how you rogue. I mean, she sucks uh, people's memories and powers <laughs> out of them. We got I mean, two comic kind of
1: book superhero geeks in the room, and they can't
2: come up with one. <laughs> uh, disabled superheroes. Okay. Oh, that's right, Thor. <laughs> Thor. Thor. Yeah, Thor? How's she disabled?
0: Because Thor's alter ego was Donald Blake, and he had a. He has to use a cane. Get
2: out. All right. Dr. Dr. Midnight. Dr. Midnight, though he had to renounce. uh, Let's see here. He was blinded by a hand grenade explosion, the work of organized crime. Though he had to renounce the surgery, he could see in pitch darkness for some reason. So he became a crime fighter. As well as having an advantage at night, he wears special pitch black goggles so he can see during the day. So he's apparently an uh, echolocator who can see at That's night. interesting. Or something. Uh, Captain Marvel Jr. I don't think I've heard of this one. Uh, and it says, well, sort of. Elvis Presley's well, favorite of. childhood hero was in Randy Freeman, a newsboy who was crippled and in fact by the, by the dastardly Captain Nazi. Oh, friggin' Nazis. Classic.
1: Uh, uh, let's well, let's we can do a superhero scene show.
2: All right, thank you. Minimus powers by a wizard. Actually, I know some people who are just totally into their comics, and uh, I bet we could get them in here for (laughs) disabled superheroes. There you go. There's Daredevil. Thor, yeah, yeah. Dr. Donald Blake, GP, who can only walk with the aid of a cane. There's Daredevil as well. Uh, The Chief. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Dr. Dr. Charles Xavier. Of course, he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> Hello, yeah, he yeah,
3: that's universal design at work. You guys just totally didn't even see that he
2: had a disability. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Barbara Gordon, of course. What yeah. was her issue? Uh, uh, she had her back broken. What? She was formerly Batgirl. Uh, she, uh, she broke her back. yeah, she was shot by the Joker in the comic Batman, the killing joke. That's right. Which wow. She happens to be probably my single favorite Batman comic and they're making it into a movie. You know? I know. I'm really excited about yeah, that. It's, it's a, a animated movie, I believe. Yeah. And, and, and the to, geeks have arrived. But it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be an R rated animated <laughs> movie. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's I see gonna the It's going fantastic. Iron Man. Iron Man. Oh yeah, because his heart—he was—he was wounded in the Vietnam War, and he had to uh, design that's an funny. iron chest plate to sustain his weak heart. Of course, in the movies later, he was wounded in a cave in Afghanistan, but you know that's just revisionism. <laughs> Echo, a Native American heroine, created in 1999, as one of Daredevil's foes, though later an ally. Echo was thought to be mentally disabled as a child and was sent to a special school. But when she was able to replicate an entire song on a piano, she was moved to a school for the gifted. (laughs) Turns out she was autistic. Go figure. She could play piano, so they moved her to a special school. Apparently. Wow. Yeah. And Komodo... The lizard, a Spider-Man villain, oh, of course, was really Dr. Kurt Connors, a one-armed scientist who was hoping that he could regenerate his arm like reptiles do by injecting himself with a lizard, lizard serum. Wow. This gave him an arm, but also turned him into a human lizard, taking away his mind.
1: This will definitely be a show for Rob and Steve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Disabled superheroes. I like it. It's happening. Yeah. Do it the first week of July, because I'm away. All righty. Fine.
3: Good we'll
0: all right. Well, um, I think we've we've taken up enough of time from the internet in general. Good. It's been a blast, boys. All right. And that's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to us. Thanks again, everybody who's listening. Just a reminder, the website is www.atbanter... No. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I gotta I gotta practice <laughs> Oh you can tell it's late in the day okay all
2: right thanks that's a wrap folks uh, Remember,
0: <laughs> drive safe Don't forget to tip your
2: waitress uh, All right it's official Rob and Ryan have lost their minds so the wrap now falls in my lap so. <laughs> hey, thanks everybody for joining remember you can visit us idiots at www.atbanter.com uh, you can also visit the Aroga website at www.aroga.com you can also call us anywhere in North America on 1-800-561-6222 the email address is
1: atbanterpodcast at gmail.com
2: well there you go bye everybody This podcast has been brought to you by Aroga Technologies. Visit Aroga Technologies online at www.aroga.com. That's A-R-O-G-A dot com. Music provided by bensound.com.